This is the Personal Finance Show. You want to know about my early money memory? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. <laughs> You're not the host today, Bo. Whoa. Today, this is the Personal Finance Show. With Caleb McMillan. Okay. So I have Bo Humphreys here today. And Bo, I, I'd like you to tell me your earliest money memory. It all started with a Super Nintendo. <laughs> As most things do. <laughs> right? So I wanted a Super Nintendo. It was 1991. We had a Nintendo, obviously, because we were kids. And Super Nintendo was only available in the States. It didn't come to Canada until 1992. It's uh, the only thing I really wanted. It's my only memory of, of that time is like, I want a Super Nintendo. So I save up all my money, birthdays, Christmas, whatever. I don't even remember talking to my parents about money before that. Yeah, I'm sure I had a bank book or a savings book. Did you have an allowance as a kid? Yeah, but well, my mom wrote a song about it <laughs> called, Gee, Mom, Can I Have a Dollar? <laughs> Right? And, and so the lyrics are, they get a small allowance for doing things around the house. Sometimes they try to spend it. I've even seen them lend it. But when it comes to buying things, this is what they cry. And we apparently would cry, gee, mom, can I have a dollar? Can I have a dime? She hears it all the time. That's basically the, all the lyrics of that song. So we would get an allowance, but apparently we would still ask her for money to buy things. So I don't even remember how much it was or why. But yeah, that's like that's I guess my early allowance. Yeah, I don't uh, you know I don't remember ever wanting to buy anything until that Super Nintendo. So I saved up, I saved up, and the only way to get it was to uh, do a mail order thing from the states. And of course, this is a long time ago. This is '91. Shipping plus the exchange rate plus just the cost of the thing. I think it was 300 bucks. My parents were like, I mean, that doesn't really sound like a good use of your money they, they were actually right like that's the, the whole the whole thing about this is they were correct in their assessment in that like because they had to help me i couldn't i was a uh, uh, just turning 11 or just past 11 and i couldn't do this myself i needed an adult and how did you have 300 dollars to spend on a super nintendo at age 11 well that's it so birthdays probably from the age of i don't know six seven eight whenever you start getting money my grandparents would give me like, you know, 25 or 50 bucks. I remember they would give me rolls of toonies, not toonies, loonies, because there weren't any toonies then. And so like 25 bucks here, 25 bucks there, it adds up. Okay, so you had saved up all of these gifts. Apparently, all of like, I mean, it must have been a lot to get to 300 bucks. Yeah, it was all, I think it was all of the gifts. So, and that's why I don't think I really did much with my money before then. And so... I think because I put so much weight on this when they said, no, you can't do that. Like, let's you know, hold on to the money and we'll figure out another thing. And maybe, and I don't remember this that well, but maybe I had told my friends, like, I'm getting a Super Nintendo and it's going to be awesome and then everybody can come over. Like, I don't remember that exactly, but it sounds right because otherwise, why would I rebel so much, right? So you had one thing you wanted. You had saved every dime every, that you got yeah. towards this and then when it comes time to purchase it your parents say no dice no dice and i didn't even think like well okay maybe i can wait for it or maybe it'll be like probably my reaction at the time was i'm never going to get this and it's the end of the world of right? course. that was <laughs> when you're 11 that's yeah, how it feels sure so i totally rebelled and i took it was all cash that i had right 
And my parents had no reason to suspect me of anything. I'm this model kid, right? And I just decided I'm going to go to the mall with my friends and spend it. And and uh, I think I'd liked lottery tickets up till then. Maybe I would get some for a birthday or, you know, they're just fun kid, things. Kids to love do, lottery tickets. Right? They're fun. They're flashy. They're scratchy things. Uh, we went to the arcade. We spent money. Maybe we... I uh, got some A and W. You know how much I love A and W. Maybe maybe played some pinball. Do you think? Uh, no, you know, not there. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. There was probably pinball on the back. Spoiler alert: Bo has a pinball addiction. Pinball was later. Got uh, it. Okay. At twelve, I don't know how I decided. Like, oh, I'm going to buy some lottery tickets. Probably because I was allowed to buy lottery tickets at the mall. Not allowed legally, but the person didn't care. If I say I'm just getting some for my mom, it was it was illegal for kids to buy at this time it was but they hadn't done this whole like you got to show your id be under 18 thing man northern ontario is the wild west i can't believe you were <laughs> buying lottery tickets at 11 well yeah 91 right and so it's not like uh it was the 80s or the 70s this there's actual yeah, laws those decades it yeah, would have been those, totally fine it would have been like yeah <laughs> no buy problem all the lottery tickets you want but i could do it but you still have to say it was for your mom right or for your parents or whatever right it wasn't for you and they didn't care. They're yeah. just trying to sell, right? They probably get a bonus from OLG or something like that for selling. For selling to kids. I don't know. I think so. You, there must be incentives, right? Otherwise, you're selling this stuff. What What's in it for you? I mean, I think the incentive is it gets people in the store and they buy other things. That's it. Okay. So that's the incentive then. Okay. So it's not monetary, but they must get something, no? I don't know. But that makes sense. Maybe that's all it is. That's all they have something that people want, so they come in. Yeah. Well, what, okay. What about the lottery kiosks that only sell? They're probably those are paid for by the lottery. Yeah, they must be. Do they still have those? Even I think this is one of those. Okay. In any case, I would go up right in the middle of the mall, like right when you come in. There's so. one in the Jackson Square Mall, actually. Right, right there. Here in right? Hamilton, we also have lottery kiosks yeah. in the mall. Okay, so but I don't think they're selling to 11 year olds. I hope not, because you know they really crack down on that stuff. And the penalties are huge. So I just started buying. In one week, just over one week, I spent that whole $300. We would just go every night to the mall. I'd say I'm going with my friends. And we would just spend like all the money. I was like, live in large. Because that's a lot of money. And I remember winning a $50 jackpot on the scratch ticket. So like $2 scratch ticket or one even. You win 50 It's like, wow, like... I got so many ones or twos. I can win so many fifties. <laughs> this is a business, right? I, I I was thinking along those lines, like this is great. I spent two hundred. Not even thinking about that, I probably spent one hundred and fifty by that point already. And with fifty, I can buy so many more chances to win <laughs> fifty. It's like uh, it pays for itself. Great grade six level math, by the way. <laughs> right. So like, yeah, exactly. So. Anyhow, I ended up blowing all of it. Uh, we had fun, but at the end, I realized all my money was gone. You said one week? In a week. In a week. So your first money memory is burning all of your savings. In a week. In a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you boil it down. Wow. But it was also the beginning of, I call it the beginning of my gambling addiction, which is why I call it uh, a 20-year addiction, because it was from 11 to 31. Wow. And so after Christmas, maybe... My parents are like, hey, you know, maybe we will let you get that. Maybe they thought I was upset or something. Maybe we'll let you get that, uh, um, you know, Super Nintendo, SNS. Mm-hmm. SNS, no. NES. SNES. <laughs> just trying to plug your I band in the middle Sat- of this interview. Saturday Night Superstars, available for weddings. <laughs> wow. And corporate events. 
Uh, <laughs> shameless self-promotion here wow. on the personal finance show. I knew it was SNS in there somewhere. So SNES, Super Nintendo Entertainment System. And I had to tell them. This is my first disappointment, I suppose. My first time disappointing my parents. So they were willing to let you buy it with that money, thinking so yeah, that money was still there. Yeah, just say, let's look at the money. I just show, you know, why don't you take out your money? And I had to tell them, like, there's no money. And I don't really remember exactly how it went down. But I know they were disappointed. And I told them what happened. And then I think we all kind of thought it was an isolated incident. So you all move on. You don't realize how alarming it is that this kid no, has chosen to cope with disappointment in this very big way. I know. And, of course, I think even at that time, no one, me, my parents, anyone watching would ever think that this could turn into something else. I'm 11, right? So it's not like you're, okay, let's go to therapy now. Yeah. It's not one of those things. Even if I still like, I still like lottery tickets. It wasn't a big deal. Just as long as I wasn't spending all my money, I think people thought it was harmless. Right. And you don't want to make a big thing out of something. That's right. You know, you don't want to traumatize the kid by overreacting to his first mistake. And I don't want to do that either with our kid who we're watching on a, a video monitor. Yeah. Right you now. know, he's sleeping and I don't want to, you know, make that into a bigger thing. But like, I know like if he makes a mistake, <laughs> blah. we'll edit this out later. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how much it gets edited out. Though you're the host, I'm still the editor. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> oh dear. Oh boy. So let, okay. So let's fast forward. So you started this addiction at age 11 with a, a big disappointment. So something difficult has happened. You've yeah. coped with it with money, with gambling so fast forward, what's the next big event on this trajectory? So next big event would have to be when I'm 18. Okay. Because between 11 and 18, I didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I believe I would just spend it either on lottery tickets if I find them or just just spend it on food or, you know, whatever. Um, there wasn't ever enough. And I, I, I'd put some away, but it was never like there was never anything significant there. And so when's the next time you had enough money to really have a problem then? Well, so when I turned 18, I was legally allowed to gamble. And okay. in the back of my mind was, well, I'm going to figure out a way to gamble, <laughs> you know, because I like gambling still. It never went away. I like gambling. We play poker for quarters. Um, I asked my friend at the bowling alley to collect old lottery tickets for me. They were scratched, and I would, like, scratch the rest of them off. That's probably the weirdest thing <laughs> of all of this. I don't even know why he did that. Wait, that was in high school when you were yeah, a teen? Yeah, he got a kick out of it, I think, by bringing me these old lottery tickets. I'm like, can you get those to me? Like, I wanted to study them like it was some kind of a game. <laughs> well, I you're, would learn more. You're aware that there's that part in the barcode that you can scratch? That didn't know? necessarily exist at the time, but there were, there were parts... There was something you could scratch, but nobody knew how to read it. Oh, okay. You know? So, yeah, there's there's that. But I, I know what you mean now. Yeah. Uh, it'd be a little There's a quick way to find out if a card was losing. But even if they tried to tell me that, I would have still wanted it. I still wanted to do. I wanted to. I was curious. I wanted to know more about gambling. The more I could learn, the more that I could master this thing. So right? you had this taste for gambling. Oh, it just kept building. And so as soon as you were 18, the floodgates were open. Yeah. So I had a credit card for $500, I believe, was connected to my student line of credit. when you're 18 credit. is also when you can get a credit card. Yes, but I, this one was specifically connected to my student line of credit that I got for school. So this was just before school. We applied for the student line of credit. I get a MasterCard for $500 along with it, you know, just for whatever spending, right? 
uh, so I can use it at places you can't use a line of credit you know, to buy dinner or whatever. You and could. were you going to school at home or were you going away to no, school? No, I was just about to go away, but I had like the semester off before, so I was just getting ready to go and, and d- getting everything ready. And, you know, I stumbled onto a prototype of, uh, of the online casinos that are out there now. Like it was, it was good, but it wasn't like slick or anything. This what was, year was this? This was uh, 1999. Okay. So I was... Uh, Early dot-com days. Yeah, 18. And I was about to turn 19 uh, when I went to school in September. And so 18, old enough to gamble, not old enough to drink. And in Ontario, anyway, and still is that way. I think I spent like $300 or something on that card. Or I, I tried it out. My parents kind of caught me. I think I was, there's only so one this computer. Is before you left for school. Before I left. So there's only one computer in the house. And I think they caught on to what I was doing. And I said, okay, no, I won't do it anymore. Right. Okay. So before you've even left for school, you've yeah. spent 300 bucks on what must be extremely slow dial up internet <laughs> gambling. <laughs> okay. This is 1999. <laughs> so we had, what did we have? It was like high, it was if you, had, if you had high speed in Timmins and we were still doing dial up in that's a good point maybe Southern I Ontario still had that's pretty sunny was it 56k modem maybe because when I went to university I had high speed in the in the residence hmm. so that that's yeah. when you came to the civilization of Southern Ontario that's right that's right no longer sleds and igloos sorry Northern Ontario <laughs> listeners <laughs> it's okay we all left don't worry about it <laughs> including my parents so my parents wanting me to you know have money for emergencies give me uh, a credit card uh, of uh, like a secondary credit card in their account as backup when i leave right only for emergencies i'm a responsible guy in all this right this right. is a, so there's no reason for anyone to not trust me i get good grades ontario scholar whatever i'm accompanying people on uh, in the music festival and the piano like i'm a smart kid i'm right. a good kid right i'm not doing anything like I don't go out like sure I was drinking, but like I'm not I'm not a bad kid. Mm-hmm. So why would my parents think oh I can't give him a five thousand dollar backup credit card? No, he knows he'll be in trouble if he uses it for something that's not important. Right, and and maybe you're hitting on something here because parents often will provide kids going away to school with that sure. sort of thing. But how often are kids getting financial education to go along with this huge responsibility? But they told me they they I, they they told me what it was for. But that doesn't mean that you have the skills yet to deal with money. Yeah. Especially in your case, because you are wired towards coping with money. But I, I think I it's, it's a common story that kids going away to school are given the, these huge amounts of money and don't yet know how to manage it. That's right. No, that's that's so common, isn't it? Stu- just the student loans by themselves. Yeah. Or, cre- or credit cards from their parents. That's a common that story. And the, and the credit cards from their parents, at least the parents can see that. Student loans, only the student sees the bill right yeah. or no, no the student doesn't see nobody sees the bill you just get money you just run out of money and then the student has to decide what to do yeah like should we change the system like why are we giving kids money when without the uh, the lessons to go along with it which i know financial education is a passion of yours Bo. yes well, it's for younger kids yeah it is teens. but you know what do we do right we want to teach them independence Maybe, well, what we, what we do is we do uh, what a couple of my podcast guests have done and start programs for kids early yeah. about financial literacy. And and all through high school. And all through high school. So, yes. sorry, I interrupted you. So you are going away to school. You have a $5,000 credit card as well as your $500 student line of credit. 
That's credit right. Card. Plus my student line of credit, which has room on it. And you're going how far from home for school? I'm going to London, Ontario. So it's about 800, uh, well, probably 1,000 kilometers. So yeah. you are going far away from home. You're 18 years old. This sounds like things are going to go great. Tell us <laughs> how it goes for you. So, well, I get to university and, and uh, I realize one of my triggers is, is being uncomfortable and, and being powerless, right? Which I was in the early time when I couldn't buy the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And, well, that's the epitome of going to university. <laughs> yep. You're, you don't know what's going on. You're Everything's hard. Everything's new. You're trying to cope. Everybody needs to cope, I think, when they go away into something new. Uh, some people have healthy coping mechanisms like communication, discussion, <laughs> uh, talking about how they feel with friends, <laughs> things like that. Some breathing exercises, perhaps. Or, or just that. Yeah, meditation <laughs> and the other real tools. But like the basic ones are just talking about how you feel and not hiding it away and you know gambling your face off. I realized that I um, had all this money. And on top of that, gambling websites just exploded when I got to university. So they were all over the place. So there's these you know, sign-up bonuses and matching bonuses and all this stuff, all this enticing stuff for me, right? I'm like, well, if I, get a th- if I put 1000 bucks in, I get 1000 bucks free, 100% Making return. Making money, there you go. So this is also the time that I started to learn about all these conditions, right, that the casinos had for... If you get a matching bonus, well, you have to apparently gamble that $1,000 over like 10, 15, 30 times, whatever the rate was, before you can even touch that extra money. And so here I am thinking, okay, well, maybe there's a condition. Maybe I have to hold on to it for a bit, and then I can cash it all out. Well, at least you know, if I gamble the first 1000 I have the other 1000 left. So things like that. Things were very enticing to me. It was all very curiosity-based. So how, how often are you gambling at this point? So it probably... It was a couple months in, you know, once I started to figure out, you know, get into the resident's life and then I'm just, I'm gambling because I can't handle classes or whatever it is or, you know, just social interactions. My brother and I were touring, I think, at the time. Maybe we hadn't started yet. So you're in a band that's touring on weekends. I think we were touring at that point. I didn't have my piano. It's the first time I'm without a piano, so I don't even have that, which is So you don't have music as a coping mechanism? I don't. I don't, and uh, so I just feel like totally removed, and I think that's that was a huge trigger for me. So I'm gambling. I'm going to classes. Sometimes I'm not going to classes. I'm gambling all the time. As far as I'm concerned, I'm just gamble, gamble, gamble whenever, whenever I can. And the funny thing is, I'm winning uh, enough to get checks mailed to me. But of course, immediately I gamble that away. Right. So everyone's noticing that I'm gambling. And then I'm like, yeah, but look, I got this $2,500 check in the mail courier to me, right? Little they know I'm probably 3000 in the hole already. <laughs> anyway, the uh, long story short, eventually I just gamble that whole 5000 away. And so you max out your parents' credit card. I have to tell them. Or they're, they're going to find out. I have. It's going to come to light. They're going to get letters and yes, statements. That's right. So they're going to get their statement and they're going to see probably 100 transactions what is happening and they're going to be furious and they were but when there's enough transactions like this it it gets to the you go past the point of being like upset about it and then you get to be concerned yeah that's a concerning thing they were concerned and we talked about it and they said okay we'll cover this you just have to have to go see a counselor and that was sort of the beginning of my 
with gambling therapy, even though it really wasn't. That was your first contact with mental health services. That's right. In this journey. That's right. But it wasn't anyone specialized in gambling because it was just at the university. But I, I didn't even know then like where to go. That's why I talk about this stuff a lot. It's because I want people to know exactly where to go and what to do. Because so, so where would, if somebody came to you and they felt they needed to access help with their gambling yeah, from a mental health perspective, where would you send them? Well, if they were in the Toronto area at all, I would send them to the Canadian Association of Mental Health, CAMH. CAMH has a problem gambling division, specifically with gambling addiction counselors. And so they know exactly what's going on there, and it's a great program. Then you can just go in and talk to somebody. If it's severe, there are, is a program in Windsor, like a boot camp, uh, like in, like one of those things you see on TV. It's like rehab. Like an inpatient yeah. rehab. That's right. Yeah. If setting it's setting in Windsor. If you basically just gambled away three mortgages, you know, or you know, ruin you're ruining your life <laughs> <laughs> and other people's lives, and maybe especially if you're not even aware or self-aware, like you think everything's cool, it's my money, you know, I can gamble it away, right? That's that's serious. So some people with a severe enough problem might choose or be sent to inpatient rehab. Yeah, I I'm think, sure they would have to choose it. Well, I've seen them come and go, right? Uh, I, I think you I think you have to make the choice yourself, but also you have to be recommended by problem gambling counselors of some kind in Ontario. The rest of Canada, there, there are addiction centers all over the place. It's not hard to find them if you're looking. They do tend to have outreach uh, programs going on and they have you know, advertising and connections with the different associations and stuff. So it's just a matter of like, how do I even look or like, is there a place if no one's ever talked to you about it? Right. Yeah. So for me, they just thought that I was depressed. Right. And I was gambling because of that. So they prescribed me um, antidepressants. Okay. And do you think that was appropriate? Are you happy with how that went? Probably not. I, I mean, I kept gambling. <laughs> <laughs> I I uh, had multiple relapses over the uh, the years until I f actually figured it out. So maybe that wasn't the answer. Right. So, so yeah, let's let's jump ahead in this story. So you have a gambling problem that starts to show itself right when you're moving out on your own. You're 18, turning 19. Yeah. You're going to university. You're starting to interact with mental health services who think that it's an underlying depression. That's your gambling problem. And the years go by. Things don't really get better. You're having relapses, kind of yeah. starts so, and stops. So what what's what's the next stop on this wild ride that we're on? Yeah, so throughout university I just was whatever, you know, gambling here and there, trying to make it through. I apparently made it through university. I got my degree. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, it was tough. I never like I kept getting more and more in debt, right? I mean school debt. And then I had just had all this debt. And are, you, are your parents still bailing you out at this point? Uh, it's it's probably little bits here and there. So I'm I'm just doing like you know maybe three hundred six hundred dollars here and there, just on occasion. Mm -hmm. But like nothing really, nothing was really changing in my experience. Uh, we thought give my credit cards to my my brother, you know, mm -hmm. or. Uh, you know, get rid of the credit cards, but then I need them to live and have somebody look after my bank account. But maybe somebody would look at it for a bit and then nothing would happen. So nothing's really addressing the underlying problem. Here. No. And you are like many people in their 20s. You've, you've, you have your degree, you're starting to work, but you're not 
doing well financially at this point. You're in no, debt. Yeah. You're not thriving. I'm you're not debt. building the equity that you hope to build at this point in your life. I would take whatever credit cards would come to me and I would use these balance transfer uh, promos. So six months, no interest, transfer like, you know, whatever you got, 10 grand over to this. You don't pay any interest for six months. I'm like, great. I mean, that does seem like a good idea. If you're <laughs> given everything else, any relief from the insane interest of credit cards seems like a worthwhile thing. Yeah, it it was. It's but not going to solve the problem. It's not going to solve the problem. Yeah. That's it, right? But it did give me temporary relief, which is how I was able to sort of keep myself afloat and then i did get a job um in uh, in toronto i moved to toronto got a job my parents again they're helping me out this whole time like yeah. i don't know what i would have done and, right. and it's uh, probably a good time to talk about privilege and that without my parents helping me with this or that with the the random uh, you know relapses uh, i don't even know where i would be right because you while you are struggling with debt it's not like you ever ended up in a really bad place you always had somewhere to live you had food to eat that's right you never had to go to a payday loan place no i never did and you think that i would have just to get some extra money yeah. there's some stories later where i probably should have <laughs> instead of do doing what i did do so really i'm just staying afloat and and that's in part because of where you come from and coming from an upper middle class family and being able to yes to keep it together even though you are not you're living well beyond your means because of the gambling yes and so you think okay well you know maybe i'll just have this problem and uh, it'll be fine but i figured out a way to make it worse okay so <laughs> <laughs> so i'm 25 and uh -huh. i want to go to um on a trip for my birthday right 25th birthday this one day cruise from Vancouver sails under this the Golden Gate Bridge. Awesome. And I think I'd been pretty okay with the gambling. I wasn't really happy with my life. I wasn't happy with the job that I was in, just starting out in debt. I don't really know what's going on with my future. It's like one that kind of thing. It's hey, like quarter life crisis. It's a classic time. I guess that's for normal for everybody, right? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I was probably in a very similar position to anybody else. The, I, the main difference being I have this vice that can be quite costly. And turns out this uh, one a night, uh, two-day cruise uh, had a casino on it. And I was just, I guess, I just lost it, right? I went in and I'm like, I'm just going to try it for a bit or whatever. W were you on this trip alone? Yeah, it just, I did most everything alone. I couldn't make any connections with people because of this problem that I had, right? I'm not going to open myself up because if I open myself up, then people can see the gambler and how bad things really are. And how are. bad things really are. I'm okay. able to keep it all at bay, right? So we got a lonely dude on a boat <laughs> with nothing to do, no one to talk to, and there's a casino. And whose trigger, a uh, main trigger is uh, uncomfortable new experiences, <laughs> apparently, so it was the worst idea, and I just, you know, I think I spent a thousand bucks or something, and then I'm like, "Well, I'm in this." And I was in San Francisco. It was I, I, I was, it was great. I having a good time, but all I could think about was gambling. It's just the worst, right? And I just remember getting back home to Toronto. I got off the plane and I went and bought like two hundred dollars worth of lottery tickets. Oh my god! And then it just kind of ballooned from there. I I rediscovered all of the online casinos started playing games that I never even did like online poker. And the culmination of this was, uh, it was a couple of months cause it was from September, my birthday 
the end of it was in November when I got uh, my job, uh, my six-year job at uh, MLSE, mm-hmm. uh, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. But at the same time as I was interviewing for that job, I was gambling my face off, like <laughs> like gambling all the time online. And I discovered this video poker thing where you could play 50 hands at a time. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, it's in, but the f- craziest thing about that was the potential for jackpot. And, of course, you think of that about everything, slot machines. They all have potential for jackpot. But I actually hit this jackpot. That's what? the thing. So there's, if you get all 50 hands, like a royal flush or whatever, yeah. you get the jackpot. <laughs> and I won 20 grand. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I won $20,000, right? Um, this should solve all your problems. And it, it, that's, what I, that's, that's what I thought. That's the, the, best, the best part about this terrible experience is that I still had in my head that if I hit the jackpot... I'll be able to solve the problems that I created by by losing all of my money. But what happened is I realized that it wasn't going to solve it. I won 20000 and I just realized I want to gamble it all. Oh I want to try to make 200000 or a million. Anyway, it, it, it was never going to end, wow. right? It was kind of the, it's the best and the worst day of my life because the best was, is because I was able to sort of realize... Gambling is not going to get me out of this. I can, I got to do something else. I got to figure out whatever it is. Right. But also, I just lost all of my money that I had, plus the money I made, plus any money in the bank that I had to try to get that back. Oh my God. And I didn't have enough money to pay my rent. And I just got this job and I signed the contract and I'm starting this new job. It pays me a little bit more, but nothing close. So I had to go to my close friend and tell him that I was gambling again and ask him if he could lend me money to pay my rent. And I'm sure this is a friend <laughs> who had seen a lot of gambling before, had seen it all, had probably lent you money in the past. He was furious. <laughs> he was he was really upset with me. And I, I said, I'll give you all my codes to my bank accounts and my credit cards so you can see everything, right? Because I couldn't stand disappointing him. Uh, again and uh so he did uh, you know he like he'll look i told said look in periodically like just so i know that so i'll feel safe it helps you be accountable to someone but after a while it's just everything seems okay so you so you get out of this terrible relapse i get out of it but But i'm in worse debt than i ever have been you get out of your tight spot with the help of your friend so is this when you connect back with cam h again or have you yeah, been connected with them all I think along? it's important for me to reconnect at this point. Yeah. I, I think I was go- trying to go to groups, but I was like, this isn't good for me. Going to see my counselor. Yeah, it's just a, it's a long process, you know? You go through all this stuff, but I think this really just lit the fire. Like, I got to figure out what it is, like, more in depth. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, that's the time that I started to take advantage of the programs at uh, CAMH. The, they had cognitive behavioral therapy program. Mm-hmm and an uh, eight-week mindfulness course. So I started doing all of these things, trying to improve myself. You know, it was still a couple uh, a couple more years before I kind of figured it out. I was in my new job, uh, and I was, I was focusing on that. I think I had to shed a lot of bad things um, or, or ex- really dig deep before I figured out exactly what was wrong. So what was the big breakthrough? So... After I shed a bunch of negativity and just basically 
it was miserable for another couple of years. <laughs> I got rid of this thing. I got rid of that. You know, I'm, I'm running and taking care of myself. The boss that I wasn't getting along with is gone. Uh, but why, why do I still feel like there's something totally wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And then I just started Googling more and exploring more. And I, stu- I really just stumbled across attention deficit disorder. Uh, you know, I guess ADHD is the official term, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. But I never used the H because I never was hyperactive. It's, you know, I mean, you've maybe uh, people would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so I call it ADD, yeah. attention deficit disorder, because it was a deficit in my attention. And it made me unable to do things. So I took this test online. I thought, hey, this looks kind of really close to what I have. And I mentioned it to my gambling uh, counselor. And, you know, he's not a psychiatrist, right? Uh, so he, and he's not a doctor. So he wouldn't, he doesn't even think of medication. His job was to, you know, I mean, if, if I'm on medication, fine, he acknowledges it. But he's trying to dig deep into what's causing this, right? But we never even thought about that it's a disconnect in my brain somehow. And so they did the official test. And she's like, yeah, you you got this. Here's some medication. Let's try this. And they just change everything. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's the great thing about getting treatment for ADD is the treatment tends to work well and fast when it does work. So that's, if they, that's it what be you life got. Changing. Yeah. It was life changing. I was I was just so stuck and paralyzed you know, by fear of things and a fear of doing anything because then when I would when I'd do stuff, it would take forever or I would just get so, like, my brain would just get so full and, and it just made me feel miserable to work hard, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. It, it, like, it's hard to work hard. Yeah, sure. It's hard to, to focus on things. It, everybody has a long day and they get all stressed out and... It's yeah. difficult, right? That's, you know, but for me, it was like excruciating. Yeah. That, that's the way that I describe it. It's like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even do it. It's like uh, every day, um, it's the equivalent of you having to, you know, like cut off your finger to get work <laughs> done. Like just the, it, to, to give somebody a comparison of, uh, uh, to be able to maybe understand how I felt about doing regular daily work. Or going out and trying something new or making new friends or anything that was about needing my energy to get something done or accomplish something. Because I, I didn't have any of it. it was, it's a deficit. Yeah. There's something missing in me. And the medication kind of bridged that gap. That's right. And so that for you was when this whole gambling thing started to turn around. You started to really work at the root causes of that's right. and what had been bothering you. And so, yeah, I, f- I figured out, so it was the ADD. I felt like a million times better. But now I'm looking at this debt that I have, and it's ballooned because I'm done with all of the uh, balance transfers. <laughs> I got to face this. I, I have like somewhere between 600 and $1,000 a month in payments oh to God. credit cards. Which are only going to get astronomically larger just, because the high are you paying those 20 percent interest rates like most these credit are all cards regular have? credit cards it's insane i i couldn't qualify for any sort of you know lower rates or loans nobody would give me those right of course. not at this point and i'm like okay what are my options now that i'm thinking clearly and now that i'm like 
okay, because when you think about it, if you try to figure out a debt solution for something and you're still in it, mm-hmm. it's almost pointless because you're figuring out your debt, you're paying it off, and then you're just going to fill it up again because that's what had been happening right. for the last five, ten years. So I felt like I was in a place where I could explore, like start crawling out of this debt and and be sort of okay. Like I was on my way to getting the gambling under control. It was still there. It was still in my head. I can't say that it, the medication immediately cured me mm-hmm. uh, or the behavioral therapy or, or the mindfulness. Uh, that All of these are just tools to help me get out of this rut that I was in. And my comfort zone was gambling. Right. So if anything bad happened, I would still go there. Uh, so I started looking into what are my options to crawl out of this debt hole that I was in. Well, I found bankruptcy. I think I have to go bankrupt. Right. Because it, there's no way, like you said, it, it would probably take me like 300 years to pay <laughs> off <laughs> the yeah. minimum payments. Yeah. If that or never. I found a, I just Googled it, I guess. The uh, the one that came up was Hoys Michaelos. And it said... The, the, and what is Hoys Sorry. Michaelos? So Hoys, Hoys Michaelos is a bankruptcy uh, trustee uh, company. Okay. So it's a company of... It's, they're called insolvency trustees now. Doug Hoys is the founder and Ted Michaelos. Previous podcast guest yes. here on the Personal Finance Show. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been on Doug's podcast as well. So clearly you and Doug are... are good pals at this point <laughs> he's able to help you out of this situation you were in the the proof you're right yeah the proof that uh, <laughs> uh i got out of this is that doug was on the show <laughs> if doug messed it all up for me then yeah you'd be like no and it wasn't doug directly it was just one of his employees sandra but it was a website that said hey if you're you know there's an alternative to bankruptcy in canada it's called the consumer proposal you go to your creditors or we all go to your creditors as insolvency trustees bankruptcy trustees and we say hey creditors you know, if you go bankrupt, you're probably you're going to get nothing, zero. So let's uh, propose that uh, we pay you uh, fifteen thousand out of this forty, and generally the creditors accept that because uh, they don't want to get zero. <laughs> and they're usually big companies, and they have provisions for this kind of loss. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's a tremendous uh, life-crushing amount of debt for them it's just a number it's not gonna ruin their company or anything mm-hmm. they actually they planned for this so that's what we did Forty thousand down to 15 did the proposal my credit rating was ruined yeah uh not that i really wanted it anyway well that that's kind of a blessing because now you no longer have access to credit cards exactly i don't want it <laughs> credit was how i bought everything and now there's a story later where i was able to circumvent that even but <laughs> They kind of saved my life going through this proposal because all the interest stops. It was $300 a month for the next 50 months, so four years uh, uh, plus two months. And then the 15000 would be paid off, and I would be debt-free. All of my debts were uh, cleared off. And then the three years after that, it gets cleared from your credit report and your credit rating goes back up. As opposed to seven years with bankruptcy? Well, because it takes four years plus two months to pay off the proposal. Meanwhile, with bankruptcy, it's like 
a year to 21 months. Okay, so it's still a seven it's year. It's a very similar time span. Interesting. So, but because bankruptcy gets all cleared right away, you don't have to pay it off for four years. I see. So they kind of add up to the same. Okay, that's Now, give or take, right? It's, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's seven years from the day you file bankruptcy, because uh, uh, then it would be pretty much exactly the same. And how old are you when you do this consumer proposal? My uh, credit rating was cleared in August 2015. So I was about 28, uh, 27, 28, depending on when my birthday is. Uh, it's in September, <laughs> uh, as we said earlier. Uh, and I <laughs> so it's uh, 28. So by th- uh, 35, um, my credit rating was cleared. So... You had essentially a 10-solid-year period of, of struggling with this from the time you were 18 to 28. Basically, yeah, the way that I... S- I mean, I say that it was 20 years because I started when true. I was 11. And, and there were other relapses, But the, of course, the act but of struggling, you're right. Was it's a nice, basically decade. decade, half of that was active, actively in the addiction. Yeah. And then, and really, I guess, trying to crawl out of it. Yeah. yeah. So let's, let's... So this is a huge moment you're walking out of this really dark time. And so walk us through a little bit after this, because now you're in a scenario where you're living without credit for an extended period of time. And I think this is really interesting because most of us don't live without credit. Most of us don't have to think about things like cash flow, making sure you have exactly enough money in your bank account to make those larger purchases. That's right. You know, if I want to make, if I want to make a big purchase, I just do it. And then I pay off my credit card later, you know, and I don't, I don't carry a balance on my credit card, but I never have to think about when my paycheck is timed to my large purchases. And so you went through a long period of time where if you didn't have exactly enough money in your bank, you couldn't pay rent or you couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't do I just buy dinner. And so this is an old fashioned way of life that most of us don't have to live. (laughs) So how did you manage that? Because that's honestly, it's a foreign concept for most of us now. Yeah. And this is the foundation for my personal finance coaching. Really? (laughs) It's, it's kind of crazy. You go through this, you're forced to do this. And then I realized, yeah, this is kind of, you shouldn't spend money that you don't have. <laughs> what a concept. What a concept. And then people wonder, you know, why they're in trouble. Like my, my gambling addiction is very, I guess it's a unique thing. You know, there are other addictions and you can compare yourself to that. If you're not a gambling addict, you, maybe you have another similar problem. But it's not really about being able to relate to my addiction. It's being able to understand what I learned from going through this. That you know, you can crawl out of debt. You can once if you figure out your problem. Right. You got to figure that out. You can get out of debt, right? So, yeah, the first step was uh, I had to make sure that I could pay rent every <laughs> month. What I started doing was this very detailed spreadsheet of, <laughs> of course you did this is such an yeah. accountant uh type of solution well just think about it um i have to know where all the money is so anytime that i spend money at, in any kind of capacity i have to list it and it comes out of my balance so let's just say i have five thousand dollars to start with that's all i got there's no more coming you know other than a paycheck right so what do I need to spend in the, uh, before, not even before the next paycheck because um, maybe I need to buy something big later. It's like, let's do the year. Let's do six months. Try to project what all my costs are. Am I ever going to get negative? 
if I'm ever negative anywhere along that line in the next year, that means there's something that I'm doing that is beyond my means That's right. right now. And I remember this when we first met that you had this spreadsheet and when I don't remember why you had it out. Maybe when it was we were buying plane tickets to go on our trip to France as we did early on when yeah. we met each other. And you were making sure that it never went into the red. Ever. And that was so that's a pretty labor intensive way of managing your costs. Yeah, but, sure. But you certainly developed some pretty good ideas of how to make sure that you always stayed in the positive. Yeah, well, that's that's the way to make sure that I'm not putting myself at risk. Now, all, what you can do is just look at your bank account and make sure you have money in there. But, you know, a simple spreadsheet that has your balance has what your specific fixed costs are for the for this next two week period or the month, let's say, before you get new money, will tell you that, okay, now I do have this much money left over to spend if I want to spend it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was focused at this point on, well, first of all, my $300 a month was being taken out of this plus my rent. And then anything else, I'm trying to rebuild my money. I, I never had savings. If you think about it, I, I might have had savings or an RRSP account at one point, but I that was always offset by credit card debt. So it was really kind of pointless. And I cashed all that stuff out and I had to liquidate most things anyway for the proposal. I'm just starting from scratch. And this is positive for me, mm -hmm. right? It's like you got to go through something sometimes to realize the positivity of this. And it's unbelievable to me that I can build this nest egg <laughs> up while paying off this debt, and I know this debt is eventually going to be gone. You never know that when it's credit cards and you keep spending. If I can't get any more debt, then there's the no, I know the debt's going to go away. That's kind of a revolutionary thing for most people because they that doesn't exist. Right. Revolving credit, uh, credit cards and lines of credit, they're revolving. You can reaccess the credit all the time. Nobody knows the experience of paying something off in full. Uh, that's large and then starting over again. What, what a relief that must have been to you oh. after feeling like you couldn't you couldn't predict your debt, you couldn't plan for the future, and now suddenly you can. You can start building a future for the first time. What's my? I don't even know what my future is like. You know, <laughs> I always say I thought I was going to live in, in, in my parents' basement, <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, there was guys in my gambling group who they were in their 50s and 60s and they would get an allowance from their, their spouse. That's the only way they could live. Here's enough money to get your coffee from Tim Hortons on your way to work. And, you know, if you need anything else, well, you know, forget that. And then you come home. It was a miserable life for them because they never addressed the problem. And all they did was try to put these stopgap measures in place. Which are very useful in the short term. I mean, for you, not having credit for seven years, that was yes. a stopgap, but it was enough for changes to happen for you. But it didn't, it didn't stop me from gambling again, <laughs> right? So there was a couple more times when I gambled, you know, because, you know, years went by and I was building up savings and I don't have credit. I have a $500 secured credit card from People's Trust in, in, in British Columbia where you send them $500, they put it in a GIC, and then they give you a credit card. Yeah. And th they pay it back to you in in with interest later on. But $500 is not going to get me anywhere with gambling. Mm -hmm. There was, I think, two or three more relapses in, the next, in that seven-year period, right? Like, I technically did 
put the stop on the debt at 28, but it still took until I was 31, uh, not seven-year period, I guess a three-year period, because I, I, I technically, my last gambling incident, a relapse, was uh, when I was 30, like just before I was 31. Mm-hmm. And, you know, June or July, June of, uh, of 2011. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, and we just made a video about that. That's right. right. Uh, so that was, that was terrible. Uh, but you know, the, what I, what I say to people is you'll know when it's your last one. I just, I felt like I knew that it was, you can't just get rid of an addiction right away. It's been with you for so long. And I knew that it was the last time I could feel it sort of floating away. And it was almost like I had to get it out of my system. It's a terrible feeling to have to be like, I know I have to do this one last time, but I did. And I didn't know it. Like I, I was just all just like remnant feelings, right? Like I didn't make this looking back. Yeah, I understand But in the, you're in the, the thick of it when you're in it. But yeah, live like so. I was living on cash. I wasn't not on credit. I to change. You have to change everything about your life. I think that's the hardest part for a lot of people is they don't want to change anything. Right. We we all want to be fabulously wealthy without <laughs> the, any doing the hard work that <laughs> might have to happen to get there. I'm just watching this this Dave Ramsey video. Uh, it's got like millions of views about this couple making like 150, 200 grand a year. And they're like a million dollars in credit card debt <laughs> or something. And common story. If I th- <laughs> honestly, I, it's it's too common. Yeah. yeah, you're right. The more money you make, sometimes the harder you fall. I just can't imagine getting to that point, knowing what I know now. I don't have debt. You know, I don't have any debts. I saved up tons of money. I don't buy things that I don't have money for. Right. I don't need a lot anymore. You learn what's important. You learn what, and then you learn that there's other ways to make money. <laughs> I wish I would have known about side hustles or, I never had the capacity with the ADD I, I, to do more than my one job. Like I barely could do that. So it's like a whole new world opened up for that too, to be able to make money on the side. The money management part of it is what really sort of changed. And then I started focusing on uh, looking at, investments and investing and what's that about and fees and then you know well simple started popping up but that was that was after i was I mean, done with the gamble the whole world of robo advisors has changed the investment game that's it you know you can get in you can some of my colleagues in the personal finance uh, space they talk about how their first experience was like you don't have enough to invest you don't have enough for this or that well that <laughs> doesn't crazy. exist anymore yeah. right and also, the, I mean, there are conditions where you shouldn't, if you don't have enough money, you're not doing a lot of activity, you shouldn't invest in that. Like a brokerage account would have cost you tons in fees if you only like bought like one thing a year. Not worth it. But now y- you can buy like stocks for free if you want to buy some stocks. Like there are so many options out there now that weren't there before. But I couldn't even get to there. And that's why I really focus on helping people with their basics now instead of telling them where to put their money because I'll, we can figure that out later. Uh, I can help them uh, put them in the right direction, but you got to figure out the basics. What money is coming in? What money is going out? The thing that I had to do 
because I, I filed for bankruptcy, basically. Yeah. I think everyone should do. And then if you have extra money, it doesn't mean you should just spend it like a crazy person on things you maybe don't need. Think about like what are, what is the purpose of money for you? What it, what do you want to do in the future? Would you love to be uh, like free of responsibility to a job? Would you want to be able to go wherever you want? You can you can get this stuff if you start early. And I I you know I was a little bit delayed because of all the debt and the the addiction stuff. But hey, by thirty five, I had about a hundred grand in the bank. Yeah. So. If I could do that after being 40,000 in debt and being uh, hopeless, well, then anybody could do it. And it just takes time. I think that's probably a good place to, to wrap it. This is a very hard job, Bo. You didn't <laughs> tell me. You know, you make it look so effortless here, asking questions in this basement studio here in the hammer as we are. But Hammertown. Thank you so much for sharing your story with all of us. I think it's really inspirational and it really informs the work that you're able to do with people because you really have been there and when things aren't going well financially it's easy to feel embarrassed or to want to hide it or you or it's it's stressful to even look at it so you don't even want to think about it but your story shows how you can be in a really really bad place and turn it around pretty quickly and that's why I think a lot of people want to work with you for coaching and why you have so much value to share with people so thank you for telling us all about it well awesome thanks so much so that's episode 76. I figured after 75 episodes, it's about time I tell my story on the podcast. Big thanks to my wife, Kayla, for agreeing to be the host for this episode. Sure, I could have just done a solo episode, but I wanted it to be an interview because I really believe that interaction between host and guest makes for a better podcast. And I think Kayla did a great job. Also, thanks to our new baby boy, Henry, born on February 1st, for only interrupting us once. If you listen closely at around 20 minutes, you can hear him crying in the background. Now that Henry's a few months old, I'm back in the swing of things and creating new weekly episodes. I also finally launched my Patreon page. So Patreon is a site that helps creators like myself get paid for the things we create. So if you like listening to the podcast every week and you think that it adds value to your life, you can show your support by paying me as little as $2 per episode. And you only pay if I actually publish an episode. So the more patrons I have, the more motivation I have to continue to find great guests to be on every week. Or I don't get paid. I really like this patron concept because it's only a few bucks a week for you, which doesn't make much of a difference to your budget, but the cost of one large copy per week. But if 100 listeners give $2 per episode, that makes a huge difference to me. And there are different rewards the more you give. For example, if you give $200 per episode, which I agree is an insane amount of money, I will personally fly to your house, interview you for the podcast, and bake you a pie. Maybe it's crazy to even have this listed as a reward level, but if you build it, they will come, right? So head to patreon.com slash bowhumperies if you think you might want to be a patron of the show. There are also links to the page in the show notes for every episode. Otherwise, I'm a personal finance coach if you need a little push to take charge of your personal finances, and I'm a QuickBooks Online Platinum Pro Advisor if you want to learn how to do your own bookkeeping for your small business. Send an email to bo at bowhumphreys.com if you want to know more about that. That's it for me and Kayla and baby Henry. I'll be back next week with Sajal Patel, founder and CEO of Sage L, Wisdom, Wellness, and Wealth for Women.